Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, and the rest of the team at Lucasfilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the one, the only, Dan Zare, uh, and I are recording this on Wednesday, September 4th, which is basically two weeks after all of this Star Wars-related news broke at uh, this year's D23 Expo, and what, just a week after the East Coast version of Black Spire Outpost opened at Disney's Hollywood Studios. Now, Dan, you weren't able to go to... The East Coast opening because, of course, you're, you're you're a teacher and you know you're dedicated to your students and that sort of thing. But you did send somebody for coffee with Kenobi. Yes, I sent Lisa Dollard, our media specialist, and she had a wonderful time experiencing everything that Batu has to offer. I certainly missed uh, the opportunity because they got to explore uh, some of the buildings for the Rise of the Resistance, which made me very jealous, but very happy yeah. for her. But it sounds like it was great. In fact, on a on the coffee with Kenobi that we recently released, I spoke to her and Aaron mm-hmm. Sagers about what it was like on the East Coast side of Batu. Okay, well, cool. Well, we'll touch a little bit on that uh, later in the show, right? First of all, I want to talk about your experience at the, at the D23 Expo, which had to be a little frustrating because, again, you you know you're a dedicated guy when it comes to teaching, so. You didn't blow off your no. kids. You know, you, you work the bulk of the week uh, and started traveling on the Friday. That's right. right? So you you actually missed the first day, uh, which featured the Disney Plus uh, presentation about the new streaming service that Disney's launching November 12th. Uh, if I remember correctly, it wasn't exactly a smooth day of travel. Well, it was uh, it was tricky because I I got out of school. Uh, our bell rings at two fifty four uh, to end the day, right. and then I I went and got my wife because she and I work together. She's a counselor at the high school where I work, so we mm-hmm. raced to the airport. She dropped me off, uh, and then I landed in Chicago because I was uh, catching mm-hmm. a connecting flight from there, and there was about an hour and a half delay. Which was frustrating, but I knew I wasn't going to get into Anaheim until late Friday anyway. So honestly, I just sat in the terminal waiting, and I watched the Disney Plus presentation streaming. So I got to live it with everybody, even though I wasn't actually in the room. So that was pretty nice. That's what I wanted to ask. Now, did you do that on your laptop? Did you do that on your phone? I sit on my phone. There was there was a a number of folks on Twitter who were there who were live streaming, and I guess Disney didn't mind because it seemed like everybody was doing it. Mm-hmm. So I just watched one of the other accounts as they were streaming it, and it was Very great. cool. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I have to admit that that is kind of the wondrous thing of this age, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> that, you know, like, you know, you can, it can be 2,000 miles away and still be part of the, the show, so to speak. So, all right, well, let's just jump into it. So they run uh, that Mandalorian teaser. What was your take on that? What leaped right, out? Well, at you? there's there's a number of new characters, a number of new faces, uh, some familiar alien species, but uh, characters we're not from or not aware of from that particular planet. Uh, and I thought that was great. The action looked crisp. It mm-hmm. looked very uh, violent and kinetic. And I thought it sort of seemed in line with what we saw at Celebration, and it certainly got me uh, a little bit more excited. Uh, quite honestly, I was so much more taken, my breath was more taken away by some of the Disney Plus stuff, including She-Hulk, and that kind of had my focus. Mm-hmm. 
And then we got to a small um, announcement at the end of the panel, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And then that changed things for me. <laughs> that we did. That we did. But, but, but before we, we leave The Mandalorian, um, what did you think of the announcement that Ming-Na Wen, which so many folks know is the voice of Mulan and likewise from her work on Marvel's Asians of Field, that she's also part of the cast. I was kind of intrigued that out of all the footage we were shown, we, we didn't get a shot of her character. Oh, yeah, I was too, but, I, you know, and who knows how recent that news was or when she actually signed on the dotted line. But it was tremendous because now she's been in all of the great major Disney franchises, and she's such a great ambassador for fandom anyway. So that was pretty, oh, pretty glorious. Yeah, no, no, I agree. I agree. Now, I want to credit, you know, our buddy Drew Taylor for, I, I think, being the first to notice this. But, you know, in the language when they were announcing uh, The Mandalorian, the first episode will be available on November 12th in the U.S. with the launch of Disney+. Plus. Um, Drew picked up on that in the fact that what that means is we're not going to be able to watch every single Mandalorian episode right on top of one another. We're not going to be able to binge. These things are going to be released a week at a time. Um, Which is great. Okay, so that doesn't spoil it for you? or No, it's the opposite. It's it, We talked about this on Coffee with Kenobi as well. What I like uh, about this is that you can experience this over an eight-week period or however many episodes they have per season of respective shows. So it's not this immediate blaze that sets pop culture afire for about a week. And then it disappears and dissipates and goes into something else because things are always are coming around the men. This way we can enjoy it more slowly. There's no pressure to hurry and see everything before it's spoiled for you online or on social media. So you get to actually enjoy it like a regular television program, but still the excitement of watching it online in the comfort of your tablet, your device, your streaming on your television, whatever you need to do. So you get much more of a long process. The, the, the example Drew and I used was Stranger Things, the, the new season, where you know we loved it and we thought it was amazing, but after a couple of days, we already were out of that world because we'd seen everything. At least this way, you're guaranteed a good couple of months of living in that universe. Oh, that's, that's an interesting way to... And, and certainly, face it... You know, this sort of drip, drip, drip method of distribution certainly hasn't hurt Star Trek Discovery, you know. Exactly. Um, you know, the very idea that you don't get a new episode till you know, a week later, you know, helps keep the show front of mind. Yes. Um, okay. Well, cool. How, right. What do you okay. think? You're, do you like that as well, or do you do you like it I'm, I You know, that's the thing. I've only recently been introduced to binging. In fact, just this past weekend, dear Lord, Alice and I... Did all ten episodes of the Dark Crystal, uh, Age of Resistance, Age of Rebellion. I'm not sure. I'm, Age of I'm No Chance stands watching that. That's that's my. <laughs> that's too creepy for me. Those those doll thingies are too creepy looking for me. They were when I was a kid, and they still are. <laughs> well, you know, you're not wrong. Uh, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed this. I mean, it's it's much more Game of Thronesy yes. than the original uh, Dark Crystal feature, and and more to the point, during the last 15 minutes of episode 10, I, it was only then that light shined over marble ahead here, and it's like, oh no, they're not going to wrap up the story. There's going to be a season two. That's not something you want to learn 10 hours in. No. Um, but the one flaw, I think, with Dark Crystal is that the elf puppets, um, 
the faces really aren't all that expressive. So that, that there were times when the camera would go close in on um, an elf puppet, or excuse me, a gelfling puppet. Yes. Uh, during, you know, a particularly emotional moment. And it was just sort of like, okay. <laughs> you know, you, you're really relying on the music and the voice performance of, you know, the, the celebrities who voice a lot of these characters to carry it. Because the puppet really was kind of a blank slate. How how was Hamill? I bet he was wonderful. Oh no, <laughs> Hamill as the scientist was absolutely amazing. In fact, you have to watch all ten hours right till the end because he has an absolutely wonderful button scene for season one that then sets up you know everything that happens for season two. But I would put his work on the scientist right up there with his Joker. It is oh, wow. just. Yeah, I mean, wonderful range, amazing performance. Uh, so, no, no, no. At very least, you got to go and check out what, you know, Mark is doing uh, for Age of Rebellion. Because it, it, <laughs> it was one of those wonderful performances where it served the story, but at the same time, he was clearly having so much fun voicing the character that you just kind of got swept up in the duality of it. Sure. Um, and, and speaking of duos, okay, we've got... Uh, our Rogue One prequel series, where uh, we've got Cassie and Andor teaming up once again with K2SO. That's right. Um, interesting thing about this one. Uh, this one is really out there. I mean, shooting doesn't start till next year in London. It's set in the formative years of the Rebellion, so it's it's basically detailing events that are leading up to what we saw in Rogue One. They're basically running a parallel to what happened in Star Wars Rebels. Oh, that's right. That's right. So that, that could be interesting. Uh, I do want to circle really, back really quickly on The Mandalorian. I am excited about it. it it's probably my least most excited about the, the three Star Wars series that are going to be on Disney+. Plus. But the only reason for that is I like the hope aspect of Star Wars. And this one looks to appear more to kind of marinate in some of the the more dark and and challenging aspects of what it means to live in this galaxy far far away which is great and i know i'm going to eat it up like popcorn but i like the like i was saying earlier i like captain america i like superman i like uh, the more optimistic aspects of things so it will be certainly a different take but one i'm looking forward to well, now, that's very interesting to hear the talk that way, because now, obviously, we have to pivot to the big announcement that was done at the yes. uh, Disney Plus streaming service panel. Now, now, mind you, anyone who listened to the last show, we, we were talking about how people were already buzzing out ahead of the expo to the effect of... Ewan McGregor's, you know, supposedly cut a deal with Disney. You know, it looks like we're getting a, you know, Obi-Wan Kenobi series. And and that was supposedly the big thing of the day. Everyone was sort of leaning forward, waiting for this announcement. And here comes McGregor on stage with Kathleen Kennedy, and the audience loses its mind. I actually got, I got choked up. I was watching, as I said, in the airport streaming, but I got choked up, even though we had a good inkling that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Just seeing it and hearing the Duel of the Fates music. And seeing the smile in both he and Kathleen Kennedy's faces, his expression and his, his sentiment that I don't have to deny this anymore or act like, oh, gee, it sounds like a fun character to play again. Uh, it was just like such a huge relief and joy. It was it was wonderful. Well, I remember, Dan, you know, as far back as April 2017, McGregor was out there talking about 
how he'd love to reprise this character. And what was it, December that same year? You know, we get, you know, that news about Stephen Daltrey's and talks with Lucasfilm to direct the Obi-Wan Kenobi film and that at that time it was supposedly envisioned as, you know, the first of a trilogy of movies and was going to yeah. be shot in 2019 and at Pinewoods with a theatrical release in 2020. And then, of course, uh, May of 2018, Solo, A Star Wars Story comes out. Doesn't do quite what, you know, Lucasfilm or Disney wanted. So th- you see them tapping the brakes on, you know, these Star Wars story films. And, and let's be completely honest here. You know, th- th- you were there uh, in April of 2015 uh, mm-hmm. when, you know, the fact, <laughs> kind of ironic that you were at the uh, Anaheim Convention Center again for the D23 Expo because you'd been there for the uh, Star Wars celebration in 2015 where, you know, what, they're in the middle of the movie panel and they just sort of kind of throw away as part of the, you know, that panel on, on Thursday, April 16th. Oh, by the way, Josh Trask isn't here today. And he was supposed, right. yeah, supposed to be the director of the Boba Fett movie that was supposed to be announced the very same day as Rogue One. I guess what's kind of intriguing to me is to see this project, the Obi-Wan film, now mutate into this Obi-Wan limited series. And you got to wonder how much of the story that was originally proposed for that trilogy of films, you know, is going to wind up as part of the series. Um, I can't face it. We don't have a whole lot to operate on at this point. All we know so far is it's what it's set eight years after Revenge of the Sith, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I have to admit I, I kind of love the symmetry here because if you if you go by the timeline, Luke at this point is eight years old, and that's the exact same age that Anakin was when he met Obi Wan and Qui Gon. Ah, good call. Yeah, good call. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, I love that from a, you know a storytelling symmetry point of view. But, you know, I, I mean, you're more familiar with what's been done with uh, the Obi-Wan character for the stories and the comics and this, that sort of thing. And, and it, didn't they also, as part of, was it Star Wars Clone Wars or was it, no, it was Rebels, wasn't it? Rebels, yeah. It, it, was, in, it was in Twin Sons, the episode yeah. uh, where Darth Maul finally meets his end. Mm-hmm. Where we see uh, a young Luke at the very, very end running across mm-hmm. um, the landscape and to the sound of Aunt Brew calling his name out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was the only time. Yeah. But, but there are plenty of, there are a couple of comic books that are one shots mm-hmm. that Jason Aaron did in the Star Wars main title for Marvel, where we see Obi Wan on Tatooine sort of watching over the Lars homestead and having uh, very tense conversations with Uncle Owen, mm-hmm. um, never seeing Luke really specifically. Uh, but there's one actually one issue where Luke gets a sense that there's someone there, mm-hmm. but that's about the extent of it. And I always think that's a, a very slippery slope because if he can make it obvious to an, an eight year old boy, uh, it wouldn't be as hard for the Emperor, I wouldn't think. That's... However, what I'm understanding, and I don't have any inside information on this, but Kathleen Kennedy did say at D23 that all the scripts are done mm-hmm. and they're going to start filming next year. So to me, that. I was sort of hoping that that meant they're just basically modifying what they've already done with the uh, potential films and just expanding and extrapolating that in, into the series. Well, I can, the sad part of it Makes is sense. if they're filming in 2020, 
how likely as it is it, given how effects heavy, you know, typically a Star Wars film is, that we're going to see this till 2021. Right. Eh. Right. That's a good point. Well, on the upside, what will have to hold this over till then, of course, is season seven of The Clone Wars. What is it? Twelve brand new episodes? Thirteen? Uh, I, th- I thought twelve. Twelve sounds right. Okay. Um, did they show anything of that that you saw? Or there was no, they didn't show anything. Okay. Okay. I mean, I, I like I wasn't there for that part, but I there was nothing released online or anything like that. I think they really wanted to focus on what they've got going on with the Disney Plus stuff and the Mandalorian, and then once that is done, and I guess the last season of Star Wars Resistance, then maybe they'll go full full force on Clone Wars. Full force. I love that, that. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, like that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> A quick question here. While Kathleen was standing on stage with sort of, you know, the whole timeline played out behind her, I noticed that they broke down the various periods of the film. Maybe I haven't noticed this before. Is this... Is this a new thing, breaking them down into the Age of the Republic, Age of the Rebellion, and the Age of the Resistance? Or? No, I mean, they, they've used it in novels, mm-hmm. uh, in different timelines at the beginning of all the Delroy novels, for sure. Okay. Um, so it's there, but they've never really, it's never really been presented in this fashion. It was kind of Marvel-esque, mm-hmm. really. Well, no, I'm glad you used that phrase, because there, you know, there were a number of people who, you know, having seen what they've done with the uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how they lay out the films and what projects are going away, you know, yeah, it, it did have the same sort of graphic presentation. Anyway, uh, yeah. before we continue here, I, I, again, I'm sorry, I, <laughs> I just have to ask because I know how tough it can be to travel to these events. So, uh, again, you're, you're getting all this news while you're sitting there at the airport. Finally, your flight from Chicago leaves from Anaheim. What time did you get in? Uh, let's see. I think I landed in L.A. about 10 o'clock. Okay. So, and so, so, but, but, you know, that's, well, I guess that makes it worse. But Mm -hmm. the nice thing about going to California when you're a Midwesterner is that when you wake up, if you wake up at six o'clock California time, it's eight o'clock Illinois time. So you're actually, while some people think, well, you're up uh, early, you're for Illinois, it wasn't early at all. So I kind of felt like Superman. God. (laughs) And, and and where did you wind up staying? Were you, were you staying close to the Anaheim Convention Center, or uh, we? I stayed at the Hilton at the Hilton Anaheim Convention Center Hotel. Beautiful. Okay, so you get up in the morning, roll out of bed, go pick up your credential. Uh, how early were you over there on Saturday morning? Uh, I got there, gosh, about eight thirty, nine o'clock, because I had to go pick up my press pass mm-hmm. and then go get my wristband for the. Uh, for the studio presentation panel so I could sit with the rest of the press. So it wasn't, wasn't bad at all. Okay, well, now, speaking of which, okay, so... You... I even woke up and worked out, too. <laughs> oh, I love your dedication, all right? You know, I, I'm usually just looking for the coffee IV at that point, okay? You know, just... Okay, so speaking of the studio presentation, so how cool was it that they literally kick off this thing with Star Wars? Oh yes, it it was nice. I, I I will say I was I was sort of thinking that that would be more of a feature thing towards the end, mm-hmm. but I think they had so much animation stuff and Frozen Two is just such a juggernaut that I understand why it happened the way that it did. But I I will say I had a, a massive smile on my face for the entire thing mm-hmm. 
because of the footage we saw for the Rise of Skywalker, and that's saying something because there were some major, major stars in this thing. The entire, the entire presentation. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. I, yeah, I love how everybody got kind of a moment to talk about. I mean, for example, you know, Carrie Russell talking about her character Zori being a bit shady, an old friend of Poe, and and Billy D talking about how you know again, you know, how many years has it been now? since Empire Strikes Back, and he's talking about how Lando never left him. Or, for that matter, how J.J. was just upfront about how Leia is the heart of this story. So, I mean, you know, so many things that the, the fans legitimately wanted to hear about uh, The Rise of Skywalker. What did you think about how the internet kind of lost its mind you know, in the days that followed D23 with that one brief clip of Ray with her, what, a double nunchuck lightsaber. lightsaber. That's a good description. There, There is a similar style in an episode of of Clone Wars oh. where the uh, Jedi Temple Guards have a similar looking lightsaber. So there is some, some semblance of synergy there. But and I can tell you, I'm sure you've gotten this too. But I've gotten so many questions from from listeners, from students, from friends who know I like Star Wars. Mm-hmm. That you know, is Ray going bad? What do you think about is Ray going bad? Is this da da da? And I, what I say mm-hmm. to everyone is, what I think is, I saw two seconds of an amazing, stunning clip that was incredible to experience mm-hmm. live in that arena. And other than that, I have no idea. I'm just going to sit back and wait and see what JJ is going to offer me. That's that's a very healthy attitude. And the only thing I have to add to that is, you know, for those of us who remember the scene from Empire where Luke went exactly. into the cave and supposedly battled Darth Vader only to find that, you know, inside of the mask was his own head. You know, there are these things called dream sequences, folks, you know. And The Last Jedi had that masterful one in the cave as well. This is true. Ray. This is true. Yeah. Okay. So that, that certainly went through my mind. No doubt about that. Okay. So you finish the studio presentation. Where do, I, I have to assume you immediately went onto the main show floor and made your way to the, the Imagineering Pavilion to check out... The Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. Well, the first thing I did actually went to the Lucasfilm Pavilion to, to catch up with Daniel Kennedy, who's in charge of, he's the events coordinator for Lucasfilm. Oh, I'm sick. So I chatted with him for quite a bit, had him on coffee with Kenobi. Mm-hmm. He talked about the presentation of all of the Stormtrooper armor, the various types, and that was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and I both remarked at how crazy it is and how awesome it is that at D23, you can stick your arms out on either side of you and you don't run into someone like at San Diego Comic-Con. Even though it was completely sold out. But after that, shortly after that, I did go over to the Imagineering Pavilion and and spoke with a couple of the Imagineers who worked on the Halcyon, Hmm. the Galactic Star Cruiser. And boy, what a gorgeous model. What an incredibly exciting experience. It's almost like, Jim, they're going to take Galaxy's Edge and raise it up 10 notches to what they've got planned. I mean, it it is stunning. Yeah. I mean, face it, there's one storytelling experience that guests have if they walk through, well, one of the three portals in Anaheim or one of the two portals in Orlando. But, you know, face it, you know, Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser is going to take this to a whole different level. I mean, literally, you know, the, the notion is that you basically go to, you know, your cruise departure point, fill out the necessary paperwork, and then what, what? You basically board a shuttle that's supposed to take you out into space where you then dock 
at the Halcyon, and from the moment you you board the ship uh, for what a two night two day experience, two nights three days, right? I think. Yeah, I mean, you are knee deep in Star Wars, and depending on who you talk to in the lobby, you know, at the, at the restaurant that night, or which members of the staff you interact with, starts individual story threads moving forward. Now, I want to stress here that you recorded interviews with these two guys, uh, these two Imagineers, and if folks want to hear them in full, they can actually go over to Coffee with Kenobi. That's correct? That's or? right. Yeah, and it was two ladies, actually. It, oh, uh, okay. Yeah. My mistake. They were, uh, let me see, I can get their names here. They were um, Erica Charlie Sear mm-hmm. and Lauren Niederheiser. Okay. And they were awesome. There really wasn't a ton they could say, mm-hmm. but they were very gracious with their time and talked about the notion that the way you're going to enter this thing is you said you're going to raise basically up inside the vessel itself because you can't walk in space and mm-hmm. that was what they said and they talked about that they told me to continue to look at the disney parks blog to find out specifics okay. which i certainly have done every day mm-hmm. okay i guess the thing that that particularly intrigues me about this is that if you're a guest staying at the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser. Um, when you finally go over to Batuu, it's framed in such a way that this is literally a port day. It's like you're getting off of the Disney dream in, you know, old Port Royal. And, you know, that yeah. sort of supposedly wandering around like a tourist only. Um, <laughs> you know, the thing I find fascinating is all those doorways in the back streets of Black Spire Outposts that right now look like wonderful theming and beautiful detailing, they actually have a purpose. If you book passage on the Halcyon, that, uh, you know, you're actually going to be, for example, you know, nefarious characters are going to go, could you go down to the surface and I need you to deliver this to such and such a door? And, you know, and that sort of kicks your adventure into gear. Again, it's, it's going to be crazy, crazy level storytelling. It's unimaginable that this is even an option for us. It's 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 well, like you would dream about as a kid, but it's not going to be cheap, most likely. No, no, no. In fact, I, I, I'm almost hesitant to bring up the price point. The, the interesting thing is that they've out in Glendale, they've been doing a number of focus groups where they, they literally do sort of a DVC level presentation of what your experience will be if you book passage on the Halcyon, and, you know, the, the special for you adventures that you'll have down on Batu. So, you know, they haven't settled on an exact price point. Uh, you and I have, you know, we were pre-gaming prior to the show, and we both heard the same number, but I'm hearing that Disney's hesitant to put that out there, uh, so we'll, we'll hold that back for now. Uh, what I, By the way, what I have heard, Dan, is that Again, because of the level of effects work and set dressing and that sort of thing, the earliest that they'll be doing preview cruises on the Halcyon will be late 2020. Uh, wow. With, uh, That's really not that far away. Well, I mean, it's uh, basically you know, a year. Yeah. Uh, you know, but at the same time, the, supposedly people will be able to begin booking passage on the Intergalactic Star Cruiser starting in the spring of 2020. 
Uh, however, these flights, <laughs> and th seriously, Dan, this is the language they want us to use, right? You know, it's not, it's not a hotel. It's not on the ground. You know, you're not allowed to say that. It, you're in low orbit. But yeah, they'll, they'll start booking passage in spring of 2020 with cruises formally getting underway in early 2021, just in time for Disney World's 50th anniversary. Another thing I heard, by the way, uh, yes. the second Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel is reportedly going to be built at Disneyland Paris uh, as part of the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge complex that's being built there at Walt Disney Studios Paris. Wow. Do we have a time frame for, for either of those things? Um, 2023 is when the studio, and that's when they're going to have their Frozen Land, that's a, when they're going to finish their Avengers campus, as well as uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. That's when, at that full build-out. The hotel, I'm told, would come online two years after that. So we're basically looking at uh, 2025 or thereabouts. Other interesting little bend on the story, the Oriental Land Company, the folks who uh, license from the Disney company the rights to build a theme park alongside of Tokyo Bay, the, the, the folks who Tokyo Disneyland and Tokyo Disney Seas, um, they've expressed an interest in the Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser Hotel, but not Galaxy's Edge, which I thought was kind of interesting. The notion of they, they want the hotel, they just don't want the land, or they don't want the land as it is now. So, so you think what you've talked about previously, that they're maybe thinking about revisiting this, but with more familiar locations? Yeah. Locations? Just today, Len and I recorded a brand new Disney dish, and he was talking about the fact that even after, you know, we had the opening of the Orlando version of Black Spire Outpost, where, you know, they had guests, you know, lining up at 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, to get into the park to experience this, and they had that amazing opening day. Uh, but here we are just after Labor Day, and the crowds are not what, you know, uh, certainly Len was expecting and certainly not what Disney was expecting. And But doesn't a hurricane, an impending Category 5 hurricane, uh, you know, that, that, and, and Len was quick to point that out, along with the fact that the kids are back in school. And, you know, there are all sorts of factors here that have to, you know, have to come and be considered, have to come into play. <sighs> you know, it was just one of these situations where... They wanted Orlando to open big because of the strange summer that Anaheim had. And, you know, that this just adds so much more pressure on uh, Rise of the Resistance. That's That's got to be, you know, a smash hit. That's got to move the needle in a lot of ways. And I, I got the impression, like we talked about in the last show, that uh, with, when um, Iger talked about this, that maybe he thinks they should have waited and opened everything at the exact same time. Um, right? Hindsight is always twenty twenty. I mean, you know, sure. That, Monday morning quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I, you know, and the weird thing is that as part of this press event, in fact, uh, to get back to, uh, I guess we should t talk a little bit about what Lisa shared about uh, her experience at the Orlando thing because. Face it, you know, one of the things they did is they actually, you know, marched the reporters into Rise of the Resistance and or select rooms in Rise of the Resistance and gave right. them a sense of the size, the scale, uh, the crazy level of detail. 
and also, uh, you know, the, the lovely thing is they finally confirmed the story I've been telling for months now about how your ride vehicle literally has to roll straight into an escape pod. Uh, and then you, you know, drop back down to the surface to escape the, the Star Cruiser. But, but at the same time, they also let it slip that there is, in fact, a fourth ride system featured in Rise of the Resistance that they haven't shared yet. That makes me a little crazy. But, but anyway, um, what about, uh, do you want to do a quick Reader's Digest version about what Lisa shared with you about her time at the, the media event? Sure. I mean, basically, her main observation was just the absolute massive scale and scope. And she said, I was literally on the bridge of a Star Destroyer, and I can't believe what I saw. And they also mentioned, she and uh, Aaron Sagers, who came on the show, they also mentioned that with the 50 stormtroopers there, it was, it was intimidating. It was beautiful. It was awe-inspiring. It was just the, what, what, if this works the way that everybody wants it to work, no one is prepared for how glorious this is going to be. And that, I mean, talk about wetting your whistle in, in unbelievable ways. Hmm. That is so cool. Okay. Cannot wait. Cannot, well, now, speaking of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, now, <laughs> you you basically told me while you were, were out of town that you'd spend a full day on the expo. And I know from having done the D23 Expo uh, how exhausting that can be. And then, but you would then leave the expo go over to Disneyland Park and be in in Black Spire Outpost until they closed for the night, right? Yeah, I went. I was done for the day. Mm-hmm. I went back to my hotel and dropped off some stuff. And then I beelined over to Galaxy's Edge. And Drew was going to meet me over there, but then he chickened out because he said the line for security was too long. But I guess if you've had to deal with security as much as Drew has had over your life, you probably were a little <laughs> disgruntled. Um <laughs> So then uh, I was went and closed it down, had an absolute blast. And then the next morning, I had to get Chaplain, but I woke up really early. And I went over to Batuu and had breakfast there and spent a couple of hours there again. And so Drew is determined that I have a Galaxy's Edge addiction, and he is correct. Well, I, you know, I, I also, I have to apologize here, because Dan posted a couple of pictures from the show floor where <laughs> I... I, you know, I affectionately refer to him as a raccoon because, man, you looked tired. Happy. Ridiculously happy, but tired. Um, yes. So. My wife confirms your um, animal comparison as well. Well, there yes. you go. Oh, okay. <laughs> just a couple of things to wrap up here. So, again, you're on the show floor. I mean, I know you only got a limited time, but did you get to see any interesting Star Wars-related cosplay or... I, there wasn't a ton there. Marvel just sort of took over everything. Oh. I thought okay. it just there was just so much Marvel stuff, and they had a lot of great costumes on display. They did have next to where you could sign up for Disney Plus. They had uh, two costumes from the Mandalorian for you to look at, which I thought were glorious. Hmm. But mostly the stuff that stuck out was the Marvel cosplay, and I know there was great Star Wars cosplay on there. I just didn't happen to run across it. Uh, and some of the things that people did with the Haunted Mansion stuff was staggering. I know this isn't a Haunted Mansion podcast, but boy, there was some amazing cosplay for, for that attraction. No doubt about that. Very cool. Very cool. Star Wars was, I mean, the Star Wars, the force was certainly felt mm-hmm. at D23 and the expo with the announcements and Galaxy's Edge right there and the great Lucasfilm display and that stuff for Star Wars kids. But it was really, seemed like Marvel was really just kind of, the great image in the sun that was uh, over 
powering everything. Well, it is the summer of Endgame. You know, that, that kind of hard exactly. to escape. Okay. Exactly. I, I, I do want to point out, by the way, uh, from a story perspective, the Halcyon was built in the docks in Chandrilla, which is, if you know your Star Wars lore, this is the planet where Ben Solo was born. It's also where Mon Mothma is from. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, which is okay, pretty okay. cool. All right. I love that detail. Um, speaking of which, though, I mean, I think the first time you and I met face-to-face was at the uh, Star Wars celebration in uh, April of 2015, which was held at, at the Anaheim Convention Center. So how yes. weird was it to be back in that building, but now for to be here for a D23 Expo? Oh, it was so glorious to just be there. Just the the out. Really, the only thing that was similar the outside with that great um, glass and the and the fixture that usually has the advertisements for whatever the convention is. Mm-hmm. Then you go in the lobby. Then once you get on the show floor, even though it's of course the same layout, it's just so different. It's just sort of a, a amazing how in these convention centers they can you can be in the exact same spot but feel like you're in a completely different place. So it was kind of surreal, but it was really glorious. Oh, but a quick, weird little trivia piece here. But it turns out the new CBS All Access uh, series, the Star Trek spinoff Picard, I can know that they were looking for buildings that looked like they could be in the 23rd century. So they actually shot outside of the Anaheim Convention Center. Oh, you'll, you'll get That's to, right. You'll, That's you'll fantastic. You'll get to see the exterior when that show launches next year. But, okay, I, now, again, uh, forgive me for going down this rabbit hole, but for you, how did the D23 Expo compare to Star Wars Celebration? I mean, you just did the one in Chicago at the McCormick Place. Right. They're similar in, in the lines that people were very happy mm-hmm. and very passionate about what they love, and, and they were very much shining and, and showing that through cosplay, through T-shirts and mm-hmm. in the merchandise. But it's different because D23 is the only place I know of mm-hmm. where you can be having a conversation with an Imagineer and all of a sudden an actual parade will break out <laughs> on the convention center, which kind of messed up some of the audio because it was just so loud, but it was great. And then you hear the voice of Disneyland over the PA talking mm-hmm. about when different things are about to start. It was just a very happy, family-friendly environment. And so a celebration, but celebration, I mean, the McCormick Place is bigger than mm-hmm. the United Convention Center. But celebration felt more crowded mm-hmm. to me, and I'm not sure about the numbers in, on either convention as far as how many attendees there were. But D23 is so beautifully spread out and organized that you really can go around and see everything and, and never feel even the least bit claustrophobic, which I thought was interesting. But well, both, I, I again, both your, moods are good. I love the comparison that, that your Mr. Kennedy from Lucasfilm made about you know the notion that you can actually put your arms out and not hit anybody. You know, yeah. Because face it, that's really not an option at San Diego Comic Con. No. Um, no. Uh, by the way, I just again, I, you, did you do the Star Wars celebration in Orlando at the the Orange County Convention Center? I did. I, how did this stack up compared to that? Oh, uh, I liked it much more than Celebration Orlando. Mm-hmm. Celebration Orlando was not a highlight. I mean, it wasn't bad, but it just it didn't feel as seamless and and put together in the same fashion. Uh, I don't. I don't think it was. I don't think that convention center is big enough for celebration anymore. Quite honestly, mm. so I thought D twenty three was was a far superior experience for me personally. Oh, very cool. Well, well, thank you so much 
for you know sharing, <laughs> you know oh, the, sure. the the a shot out of a cannon experience you had over that. Oh, weekend. I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm just so like I said, I, I I've chosen to teach high school seniors for a living, so I like the adrenaline. <laughs> <laughs> well, trust me, <laughs> you need it for for that convention. Okay, folks. Well, well, when we get back from this commercial break, we we spent a good chunk of the show talking about The Mandalorian, but uh, when we get back, we're going to talk about the very first project that Lucasfilm produced for television. And we're back. Um, so again, you know, it's, it's been kind of interesting listening to people talk about, you know, the John Favreau's limited series, Dan. They, you know, how it's... How do they describe it? That Star Wars... At first, Star Wars live-action thing for television since... Ewoks, the Battle for Endor, which was what back in '85. That oh. sounds about right. A couple years after after Return of the Jedi, yeah. And let's face it, you know that you know uh, you know there are people who will you know wait a minute. The very first thing that, that Lucas did for television was that Star Wars holiday special, and but you and I both know that was kind of a contracted out thing. I mean. That's that's something they're not going to um, put their put on the Lucasfilm mantle. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, so it's but, not going to be openly. Everyone knows it exists, but it, there's a reason it's not widely available. It's not going to be on Disney Plus. I can tell you that. Yeah, that, well, that's for sure. I mean, but just to do a quick history there. That that what is it? CBS reaches out to Lucas. They get the rights to do a TV special. George. As I understand it, was the one who came up with the concept, you know, the notion of Chewbacca's family, Life Day, that sort of thing. But but then they farmed the writing of the actual show out to Canon Mitzi Welsh, who uh, wrote a lot of special material for the Carol Burnett variety show. And in fact, that's honestly one of the reasons why Harvey Corman is featured in multiple roles in this 98 minute long TV special. I mean, uh, Mitzi and Ken had worked with Harvey. They knew you know, they could rely on him. But Bruce Village, who also wrote on this TV special, uh, you know, he 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 supposedly in the writing room constantly bitched about the you're asking me to write jokes for you know the, the Wookies you know, who talk in growls. You know, to, 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 they can't. I, I can't do anything here. I don't have any dialogue. <laughs> they don't know um, how to write Shrewook. <laughs> That's the. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, um, but you're right. George didn't necessarily want to put that one on the mantle after it aired back in November of 1978. We in should fact, probably circle back on this uh, around what? Christmas time because it's got a it's got a massive uh, cult following for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you know, in, in fact, I think it was more famous for the fact that it was so hard to find. And in, in fact, you know, I remember, you know, my friend Arlen Miller was so proud that he had a really good dub of it, you know, because it was just it's impossible. It's also famous, to by find. the way, for being the first appearance of Boba Fett, too. This is In true. animated form. This is true. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, all right, we, we jump ahead five years now. Uh, Star Wars Episode Four. Oh, excuse me, Episode 6, A Return of the Jedi, is released to theaters. And um, what's kind of interesting is that uh, George's daughter, Amanda, just loved the Ewoks in uh, Return of the Jedi. Uh, 
Uh, and George, uh, as it turns out, was very fond of the money that the Ewoks plush had earned over the 1983 holiday season. So there began to be discussions about, well, what else could we do to support the Ewoks? What else could we do with these characters? And ABC reaches out and says, you know, look, we'd, we'd love to get some sort of a, a Star Wars TV thing going. And which, uh, you know, immediately set George off because he still had memories of, of the CBS thing. And it's like, okay, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll look into this. But the deal is this time around, I'm in control. We don't just farm this out to television writers. You know, we're going to work with Lucasfilm people. <laughs> but it, what amazes me, Dan, is they didn't initially didn't seem to learn their lesson because the the fir- very first title of the show was the Ewok Holiday Special. Oh wow! <laughs> you, you, yeah, I, I was kind of startled to come across that in my research, but and and initially, I guess, it was just supposed to be an hour long thing, but. As they began to sort of ramp up, and they, they came up with a concept where basically it's Hansel and Gretel meets Tarzan of the Apes. That's an interesting comparison. Yeah. Well, it, it was just the whole notion of they wanted a young boy and a young girl in you know a jungle adventure setting among the redwoods. But because it, it, it the cost quickly began to ramp up because they... They wanted to be have a consistent look for a Return of the Jedi, which meant, you know, once again going out to the redwoods of San Rafael. Suddenly, this thing cost three million dollars, which, compared to the thirty-two million dollars that Lucasfilm spent on Return of the Jedi, you know, that, it's a tenth, but it's still it's a lot of money for television. They shoot. I want to say that they're shooting in June, July, and all. I mean, that this is what's amazing to me. Dan. They're shooting in June, July, and August. This thing airs in November. In fact, I want to say November twenty third, nineteen eighty four. So, I mean, you know, the, the fact that the guys at ILM are able to bump out as many effect shots as they were for this thing uh, is pretty startling. Anyway, you know, the Ewok Adventure uh, airs on ABC. Is this huge hit, Dan? 65 million people tune in the Saturday after Thanksgiving to watch this thing. In fact, that's another thing that's kind of interesting between the Star Wars Holiday Special in 78 and the Ewok Adventure in 84 is that they literally the, the Holiday Adventure airs the Friday before Thanksgiving and the Ewok Adventure airs the Saturday after Thanksgiving, you know, uh, just, you know, I don't know what it is about Star Wars and Thanksgiving. But anyway, it, it turns out to be this smash hit. And so immediately ABC is like, oh, could we do another one of those? And so that's where Ewoks The Battle of Endor starts to get geared up. Also, uh, Lucas, who is looking now for ways to support uh, you know, going into the second holiday season with Ewok merchandise, you know, hopefully landing under a lot of Christmas trees uh, and with the hope of, OK, let's look ahead to the 85 and 86 holiday season. Uh, this is why we see the Ewoks, the animated series. Uh, did you ever get to see that? Oh, yeah. I wa- that was always on uh, right after the droids animated series, which I like. That's it exactly. More, but the, yeah, I remember uh, it very well. In fact, the Ewok and Droids Adventure Hour, part of ABC's Saturday lineup, starting at 9 a.m. Uh, September of 1985. Again, to give you some idea of what a canny businessman 
George was that he, because they'd seen just a slight downtick in sales of Star Wars merchandise, uh, he insisted, well, you know, if we're going to do an Ewok show for ABC, uh, we'd like to pair it with a droid series so that, uh, you know, that'll help keep sales of Star Wars merchandise up. Anyway, it's it's pretty much the same battle plan for Star Wars The Battle of Endor. That shoots, again, up in the Redwoods, May to July of 1985. And <laughs> But again, what I love about this is George evidently, just prior to, to writing this, or, or the beginning of the story conferences, he had just seen Heidi on television and you know suddenly came in and said, well, what about if Sindel, the little girl from the first Ewok adventure uh, ends up with like a grumpy old hermit up in the mountains, you know, just like out of Heidi. And, you know, the writers are like, uh, we, the, the last movie, George, at the end of the Ewok adventure, she was happily reunited her brother and her with her, her mom and dad. And yeah, we're going to kill him. Um, so, you know, uh, you got to sell oatmeal. You got to ring in Wilford Brimley. Well, in fact, I love that you brought that in there because it turns out Wilfred gets the job because uh, you got to understand that Cocoon uh, comes out in June of 1985, but everybody in town is talking about this movie. And in fact, especially the folks at ILM, because they did a lot of the effects and they saw, you know, what a wonderful performance Brimley had done. So they actually sniped him, uh, you know, uh, cast him for this role out ahead of when Cocoon played. So, you know, when uh, Ewoks, The Battle for Endor, airs in November, you know, they suddenly they have, you know, the star of a summer blockbuster, you know, anchoring this TV movie. Un unfortunately, uh, Battle for Endor airs on ABC, uh, November uh, 24th, 1985, not quite the success that the first Ewok movie was. More to the point, by this point, George's daughter Amanda has lost her enthusiasm for these characters, and which is why George decides not to make a third Ewok movie. But they're still obviously very, very much front of mind, because think about it. He goes from working on the third or the second Ewok movie to working on the Sartor's ride film, which is all about how we're going to get on a Star Speeder 3000 and go to the moon of Endor. In fact, it, as I understand it, the Ewoks that we see in the pre-show film for that thing, uh, those are costumes that are actually used in the Ewok adventure. They're not from Jedi. The the new the next generation of suits that were done. Oh, for, that's uh, that's cool. Yeah, I didn't know. So, and let's see, again, we always like to hype a Disney connection when we can. And it turns out if, you know, you were a kid during that age and you wound up with the uh, Ewok Adventure or the Ewoks Battle of Endor Storyteller album, well, that was released uh, through Buena Vista Records, which was Disney's recording arm. Also, uh, as a, a huge fan of uh, the Rankin-Bass special uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, uh, one of the things I love about the, the first Ewok adventure is it's narrated by Burl Ives, the voice of Sam the Snowman. That's right. So, yeah. So, um, but uh, what are your thoughts about these two, Dan? I mean, they, they typically these days, when they make them available on VHS or Blu-ray or that sort of thing, they, 
they bundle them together. I remember seeing both of them, and I also remember seeing the holiday special one, all three when they originally aired. Mm -hmm. And I remember wanting to like them and wanting to watch them because they were Star Wars related. Mm -hmm. But by this time, it was was 1985, 1986, so Mm -hmm. I'm 13, 14, 15 years old. So it didn't quite have the magic for me. I mean, there's no Force, there's no lightsabers, there's mm-hmm. no Luke, there's no Han, there's no Leia. So while I appreciated some of it, and there were Stormtroopers and some of them, it just didn't uh, do it for me uh, the way the other Star Wars things did. Well, now, I have to ask, you know, face it, you know, George gets busy for a couple of years. We've got uh, Indiana Jones and the Lost Crusade and, and, you know, that sort of thing. And mind you, ABC really enjoyed working with Lucas and kept after him about, you know, could we do something else, which is how we ended up with the young Indiana Jones Chronicles uh, starting in uh, March of 92. Did you did you watch those? or I, I never watched a single one because Harrison hmm. Ford wasn't in it. And it was like my personal protest, which was, of course, silly. And everyone <laughs> tells me how wonderful they are, but even, albeit some of them are, lo- are a little bit stronger than others. But no, I've never seen them. So, you know, I, I have to admit, I sampled them. You know, you're not wrong. It, it felt like kind of a cheat. You have Indiana Jones without Harrison Ford. I kept meaning when uh, they shut down production of the the series for ABC and then started it up again over at the Family Channel with those four uh, standalone films. I tell you what, at some point in the future, if you and I ever have free time again, you know, <laughs> we should make a concerted effort to watch these things because I'm I'm told, you know, once you watch these films and watch George learn about. You know, new production techniques, you know, set extensions to CGI or that sort of thing that, you know, face it, this is in production from 92 to 96 that George immediately turns around and uses on on Phantom Menace. Which is great. Yeah. So, eh. Well, Harrison does make an appearance in one as an older. One episode. As an iPad. Yes. Yep. Yep. You know, uh, in fact. You know, I, I remember it, I deliberately going out of my way to catch that one, and it was worth watching him in a snowbound cabin play a saxophone. Well, yeah, just what you always dreamed Indy would get to do. <laughs> okay, so anyway, just to quickly wrap up Star Wars it, it, from a television point of view, we've, of course, got the Star Wars Clone Wars micro-series uh, from... Uh, November 2003 through March of 2005, those uh, three seasons of those wonderful hand-drawn Gennady Tartakovsky stuff. Those are awesome. Um, Just just love, love, love those. And then August of 2008, we get the uh, Star Wars Clone Wars CG film. Uh, And then just three months later, we get the uh, Clone Wars animated CG series, as opposed to the hand-drawn micro-series, starting up at the Cartoon Network. And that runs for uh, six seasons, uh, with with the, what, the sixth season actually being available on Netflix. And as you mentioned, uh, as part of your talk about the Star Wars uh, Plus streaming service, uh, starting in February of next year we get season seven 12 episodes 
And you got to wonder, there's a part of me that, are we going to get some Ewoks? You know, because it would, given where they started in television, it would be kind of nice to actually get some Ewoks. Or for the very least, you know, a Wookiee or two is a nod to the holiday special. Sure. Well, that would be interesting. I'm not sure what they've got planned, but uh, my goodness, is it going to be wonderful? I, I feel like, and you've probably heard this too, that they're pretty much just saying, look, this is going to be it, and it's going to be great. We're going to get to finish it the way we want to. Okay. I mean, there's a there's a part of me that hopes we'll get to see a lot, but who knows where the lore will be after the end of The Rise of Skywalker, so maybe that's what I should be looking forward to. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that, that we are in for an interesting couple of years, That you know, between the, uh, you know, the, uh, the Rogue One prequel series, Mandalorian, and again, just cannot wait for what we're going to see with the uh, Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan limited series. But, uh, but again, if people want to keep tabs on a lot of that stuff, especially some of you know, what was learned at the D23 Expo, they really need to sort of pivot over to you know, all of your podcasts under the Coffee with Kenobi umbrella. Yeah, yeah. thanks for saying We're on Coffee with Kenobi this week. We had, well, we had a, quite a few things going on. Uh, we had the D23 Expo... We had a previous show where you, of course, shared the mic with me and we chatted about that experience. And then I've got a number of interviews from the event, like I said, with uh, Daniel Kennedy, with some of the Imagineers who built the, or building the Galactic Star Cruiser. Uh, Drew Taylor, of course, joins me to, to as we do some commentary on what we learned from the panel, both from the theme parks, Disney Plus and the studios. Uh, we've got some amazing interviews coming up over the next six months, to be sure, with different authors and and stars. And it's going to be very exciting as we get closer and closer to the hype for the Rise of Skywalker. And Triple Force Friday is not that far away, so no, look for no, some great no. discussion there. You can, oh, by the way, uh, Patreon, we have a Patreon page where you can get access to CWK Pour Over, which is an exclusive podcast where we talk about Star Wars, popular culture, Marvel, all kinds of stuff. I did some behind the scenes of what it's like to cover the D23 Expo on our Patreon show as well. Oh, well, cool. Okay, so if, if you enjoyed Dan talking about the show on today's podcast, be sure and go check that out. I, I, again, and, and notice him get more and more raccoon-like <laughs> That's as right. the show But I don't on. need garbage, you know, Drew says I did. <laughs> oh, God. Okay, uh, well, speaking of Mr. Taylor, uh, among the podcasts that we do on my side of the fence are Fine Tuning with Drew, where we talk about all sorts of animation news. Uh, we, of course, have Disney Dish with Lentesta, where we talk about the Disney parks. Uh, Dustin Fuse and I do Universal Joint, where we talk about the Universal Parks and Resorts. Uh, let's see, and you were talking Marvel and how it took over the D23 Expo. That, of course, is something that Aaron Adams and I cover on our Marvelous Disney podcast. And uh, Michelle Valladolid and I are, are working up a show about all of the amazing merch that was, you know, there on the show floor uh, at uh, this year's D23. And hopefully we'll have a new episode of I Want That up there uh, in a week or so. Um, let's see. Um, beyond that, uh, if you could do uh, Mr. Zare and myself a favor and head over to iTunes and rate a recommender show, that, that helps spread the word about what we're doing. Uh, by the way, if you really, really, really like what you, you're listening to tonight, if you want to head over to uh, Bandcamp and subscribe, that, that would be very helpful. And Should we plug, uh, should we plug Indianapolis and what's going on there? 
Oh, God, yes. Okay, we have the Indie Disney Meet, and I want to say that's the 21st, is that correct? That sounds right, yeah. It's the uh, second to last Saturday in September, I believe. Yeah, Dan and I are going to be there. We're going to be doing sort of a looking at Lucasfilm live there at the venue, whose name escapes me. It's at the 4-H Fairgrounds, if I'm remembering correctly. That's right, yeah. Uh, been there for two years running at the, uh, this point. It's a great fun, wonderful event, folks. Well worth checking out and for a great cause. And you'll see Aaron Adams there as well. Oh, God, that's right. Yes. Well, again, they'll let anybody in. But, you know, um, <laughs> but yes, it'll, it'll be fun to have Aaron there. It'll be fun to be there with you, Dan. And, and you know, uh, happy to you know, answer any of your Star Wars and Disney related questions while we're there. So That's right. You'll find us there. You'll find Coffee with Kenobi has a live podcast there as well. That's true. That's true. Oh, the amazing media keeps on coming. But uh, this show, sadly, is at an end. So, uh, on behalf of Mr. Zahir, uh, this is Old Man Hill, and we are (laughs) signing off for tonight. All right, take care, folks.